Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 191. I think it's a lot better if you just declare you're a junkie up front, then we can all get some rest. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Richards. Hello, listener. And to my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. That, that was just you, wasn't it? There's some personal story involving you there, Josh, that I imagine we're, we're not we're not witness to. I just had something to do with something I saw on television this week. Okay. Uh, speaking of television this week, this show is all about television this week and other weeks and some weeks and other places and other people as well. We're going to talk about uh, Torchwood, which is not the sequel to Deadwood. Just clearing that up now. Also, point out, uh, I think we should point out it's Torchwood Children of Earth, which is essentially season three. So for people like me who, who would rather stab ourselves in the face than talk about Torchwood season one, it's all right. I, so I, it is I, no longer an anagram. Was it ever? Was it an anagram? We'll get to that. Because we'll we'll uh, I, I did think of the uh, first series of, of Torchwood more like Torturewood. Oh, yeah. see what you did there. Yeah, see what yeah. I did there? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, T- Torchwood uh, Series 3, Children of Earth. It's only a five-parter uh, and really interesting to talk about. So we'll be doing that. We'll also be speaking to James Talia, our holiday correspondent. Is he on holiday? <laughs> yeah. He's always on holiday. What does he do? Relaxes. What? what do you do on holiday? Why do we talk to this man anymore? We're going to talk to James Talia about beach towels. Maybe he can tell us about beach towels. It, it is winter where he's holidaying, but maybe. Wouldn't stop him. It Fashion w- report it, from James Talia. It would not stop him. Uh, we're going to have a, a little chat about reality TV hosts because we didn't get a chance to do that last week. That's right. We've got If You we Watch One Thing. Everything. We, we, yeah, I know. We announced it. Every, you don't have to whisper. The people are aware. I'm making it quite obvious by saying it. <laughs> That's I mean, the ones that we were expecting it last week. You're picking up on my whispering. <laughs> As always, though, we're going to kick things off with the box cutters news. And now for the news. We had a little discussion in the pre show meeting about what listeners would be more interested in. Another Futurama story, or another Hugo Chavez story? <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, one that's, a, that's a, an important political, you know, uh, uh, story about censorship and, and one about and, Venezuela, and Venezuela, and yeah, and one that's about Futurama. And the coin oh, so, came see, up. Breadstroke was better. Yeah, but the coin came up. Futurama. Futurama. Yeah, yeah. Futurama. We think you want to know more about Futurama, Futurama than what's happening in the world. Yeah. So, John. Futurama. Now, as I reported a few weeks back, there was talk that the Futurama cast were all going to be replaced because they were being too expensive in negotiations. Last week, we almost did a story which had hit the headline saying they definitely were replaced until we realised it was the same story from two weeks ago that for some odd reason had just reappeared as a brand new news cycle. So that story was confirming that uh, none of the cast members of Futurama that we knew and loved uh, had signed up. Indeed. Nor indeed. would they. Um, because there was negotiations, they asked for too much money. The studio said, no, we're, we're replacing you. But this is, as anyone who's ever watched uh, the film Kiss Kiss Bang Bang would know, is just a standard Hollywood negotiation technique where you threaten to fire everyone and then replace them with unknowns at a much cheaper price. Or Val Kilmer. Or Val Kilmer. Now, the Toronto Star, this is curious because as, as of us recording this, only the Toronto Star has reported this uh, and TV Tonight, which is basically just the Toronto Star, but, you know. 
the southern equivalent. Um, the Toronto Star has said that everyone is back, that um, the compromise has been, has been agreed, the studio is playing, paying more, and the actors are accepting less. That's what we call compromise in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so there's a 26-episode pickup by Comedy Central for a brand new series of Futurama. There's a quote here from... Uh, it's a joint statement. So apparently, um, Matt Groening and David X. Cohen said the following at exactly the same time. They said, We are thrilled to have our incredible cast back. The call has already gone out to the animators to put their mouths back on the characters. Right. So they tried, they tried, to, put a, they tried to put a joke in there. Yeah. Meanwhile... Brett thinks that a joint statement is just a, a, another Cheech and Chong movie. And again, probably funnier with Brett. <laughs> you know. Hey, so, <laughs> speaking He's doing of, reggae now. Speaking of funny, <laughs> Venezuela! Hey! Oh, oh, Mr. Chavez's leftist government Sugar. Is, uh, is being described by protesters as a dictatorship, but in chance. Not not chance like not chances. Community chess. No, C H A N T S. Apparently, the uh, the head of the uh, National Telecommunications Regulator announced uh, closures of thirty four broadcasters, including uh, including radio and television stations. Uh, this is not the first time that uh, Mr. Chavez's government has closed down. Television stations. Shut them down, Chavez. <laughs> he is. He is known as that. Uh, and and the government has. Uh, so so the the closures were due to the station's failures to meet legal operating requirements, which I'm guessing those legal operating requirements are no criticism of the Chavez yes, government. Sucking up to the government. Yeah. Uh, and the government has also warned that 200 other stations may face the same fate. Hmm. How many stations are there in Venezuela? Well, this is radio and television. God, so that, that's virtually everything, though, isn't it? I imagine he's, he's threatening to shut down everything. Yeah, and then how are people going to watch repeats of Family Ties? Oh, that's an age-old story, isn't I it? I know. Dictatorships come in, Family Ties repeats go out. Uh, so uh, so uh, the director of free speech NGO Espacio Publica argued that the government was trying to break national-level means of offering critical or independent content. Uh, the Chavez government replied with, Duh, Freddy. That's why we're shutting everything down. Mm. That's it. That's just the whole news. It's just closures continue to happen. I know. In Venezuela. See, and this is my point, though, that that's an important political story. Futurama being, you know, Futurama uh, continuing as it, as it is. I agree. Don't don't blame me. Blame the listeners. I look, they I, I, they I, wanted I, to hear the Futurama story more I, than the Venezuela story. I know. I, I also have a Batman story and a Carl Sandelin story. So it's, <laughs> it's not like I can really talk. Uh, but the, uh, the the thing is, these uh, these stations continue to be shut down in in Venezuela, but we're not really hearing about it anywhere, other than on box cutters. First, with your South American dictatorship news. Mm. Well, no word yet as to uh, whether Venezuela has uh, had any part in, after six long years of uh, bitter battle between Channel 9's Today Show and Channel 7's Sunrise. That was the shittest segue you I, I was ever waiting. Done. I was waiting because I, I, I do love Brett's segue. He's kicking the segue. And I, really, I was really hoping for something more with that. And it, it, it didn't really get it there It looks for me. like the time may have come for Sunrise uh, now that Carl Stefanovic and Lucy No, 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 no. Hang on. Can, we, can we go back? Can we go back? Why don't you say, and as the sun sets over Venezuelan democracy, 
The sun rises here. On Channel 7, but for how long? Yeah. Yeah. Hey! <laughs> Um, it uh, it seems that uh, 7,000 fewer viewers is enough to get a top-ranking uh, breakfast TV show, The Boot, uh, here in sunny Australia. Now, now it, really, have you got more information on, uh, on whether or not this is actually happening? Are they actually going to axe it, or are they just a little bit concerned? They're, they're seriously looking at it. Um, uh, Adam Boland has gone back to uh, to Helm Sunrise. Uh, to having, Helm and back. Having uh, co-helmed uh, Sunday nights for uh, some time and uh, back John. in there to uh, to get the talents back in order. John, yeah. do you think we can get him to say Helm again? I'm really hoping we can. I, I couldn't work out how to get it, though. I have Co-Helm. I'm yeah, really co- thinking about Co-Helm. <laughs> Co-Helm. He was, uh, he was, I remember him from my World War II history. Oh, yeah, Co-Helm. Yeah. Actually, oh, well, of course, when the, uh, when the Berlin Wall came down, uh, Helm at Kohl was uh, <laughs> German <laughs> Chancellor, wasn't he? Yes. Anyway, so continue with your story, please. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so uh, 347,000 viewers is uh, what today is uh, catching between 7 and 9 a.m. And uh, Hang industry on, so, sources so, are saying say that, that, say that uh, number again. How much? 347,000 viewers watching today. Um, it seems that may be enough <laughs> it, to uh, get rid of Sunrise. In, hang on. It. In all of Australia? In all of Australia. And New Zealand? Uh, or New Zealand doesn't count. This was on Thursday morning in the five capital cities. The right. total audience for today. 300. And we have more people listening to this show <laughs> than watch today. We do. More than double that watched dance your fat ass off. Yeah. Yeah. And that... Oh, that. Somebody, uh, somebody let us know in the, uh, in the comments. on Go. That it's going to be on... Go! go! Oh, okay. Yeah, that's in capitals, isn't it? No, no, no. It's just, but it's got an exclamation mark. mark. Okay, fair Go! enough. <laughs> it's where they put all their uh, their crap non-performing shows. Um, <clears throat> could be a good place to see some good stuff. Are you, are you done, Kohelma? I'm not yes. sure if there's more to that story. Or, or yes, no, no. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to go the the Carl Carl Sandlin's news and get out of the way because I, I may rant and I don't want to. Um, now, Carl Sandlin's a little bit of background for you who thankfully don't know who he is. Um, he is, of course, an Australian Idol judge. He's also a presenter on Today FM, uh, and I, I believe he's he's. Uh his business card says Nobataka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also known as just wanker in the street. But the Throat puncher. Kyle Sandlands this week, in case you didn't miss this, and it, it did make me so angry that I, I'm going to have a hard time going through it again. There is, there is a piece they do, Jackie O and Kyle, on their radio show where they wire people up to a lie detector and force them to answer embarrassing questions at the behest of another person. It's this, zany, edgy radio. This is the bit to me was already so offensive that I'm not even... But from here, it gets worse. I mean, that's already a terrible concept. 14-year-old girl did not want to be there, forced to be there by her mum to ask her questions about her, her drug-taking and sexual history. Um, came up in the course of the lie detector that the girl had, in fact, been raped when she was 12, to which Kyle, in a moment of breathtaking, you know, uh, just charisma and and concern said and apart from that what was your other sexual history no i don't, I don't think that's I, I think i think he said and is that your only experience oh yeah you're right that's that's much more tasteful than the way yeah. i put it um, I, 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 at, that, at that point jackie o punched kyle in the face and jackie o doesn't know it was the only one with the, with the sense to actually call call the thing to a halt 
it is the kind of thing that the producers, of course, should have hit the dump button on the seven-second delay. And it turns out they don't have one because Kyle thinks that destroys the immediacy of it by actually having anyone in control of him. Because this would not have happened if Australia had a version of the Murray Povich show. I don't even know what that is. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's the That's show... That's where all the nut bars go. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's, okay. it's the show that... Breakfast, breakfast Radio. It's, it is the show that, that Americans will go on to to, uh, to talk about... Uh, my daughter is uh, is hideously sexually active, and then the daughter will announce that she had been raped. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a perfect vehicle for that. It's like if you if you make a stew and you put too much salt in, you can put in a bit of potato, and that sucks up salt, and you take it out and throw it away. That's what that would be. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so this all happened, and it was all horrendous. And and Kyle's now claiming that you know it's everyone's fault except his, and they didn't really do anything wrong, and it's just wacky to abuse there, people. There was an interesting article in the Age today uh, because it's not Kyle and Jackie O that provide the questions. It was the mother in that case um, who, who wanted the answers oh, to indeed. these questions. But, but my and argument, she knew. Oh yeah, look, the mother is obviously patently mad, but what annoys me is that is that they should never have done the segment in the first place. The whole idea of this 14-year-old said at the beginning she didn't want to do it, she didn't want to be there, she was being forced to be there. The TV bit, which links to why I'm bringing this up, mm-hmm. is that um, it's now being pondered at uh, Australian Idol. Am I saying Australian Idol? I've completely mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. on. Yeah. Australian Idol producers are, are now contemplating whether or not Kyle should continue on as one of the show's judges. Um, because They've gone through the process uh, down to the final 50 so far. <laughs> uh, Idol's a family program. Executives will cont- continue discussions over the weekend. Basically, also the way he's been behaving, I think, over this is, is pretty obnoxious. And I think even Idol's begin... But that's that's why they hired him, though. They hired him because he says things without thinking. Yeah, but I think there's still... There's a point... And Cal... Simon Cal, I believe... I believe that some of that is a persona, and some of that is he actually does have a track record in the music industry. So Simon Cal, you go, okay, you're a bit of a bastard, but I think some of it you're putting on, and I do think you've got some degree of validity to be there. Kyle Sandilands is just a dickhead. But he was hired... To, to be, be a, a dickhead. dickhead. Yeah. So, so you know, you can't go, oh, well, we hired you to be a dickhead, but now that you're a dickhead, we've got to sack you. But it's also intriguing to see that Chaser make a, a tasteless fictional sketch, get taken off for two weeks, someone gets fired at the ABC. Um, these guys deliberately just stuffed around with a real person's life and they expect to walk free and it looks like they probably will. It looks like nothing is going to happen. But if but if, if Kyle Sandilands gets... Uh, kicked off Idol for it, mm-hmm. then he's just going to be the scapegoat. He's going to be the only one to take Yeah, it actually should be the producers at the station. I it think it's actually the, 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 the Osterio two-day producers are the ones that I would... I, I actually think everybody other than the girl should be somehow punished for it. It is. And one of the things you can do, and I'd like you to do, um, if you want to make a complaint to Today, and I had a go, if you go to the website, you can do anything. You can you can get them to make you a vase. You know, you can send them beautiful thoughts. You can, All of it. All of it. Your Twitter, you can do it telepathically. You can do it um, email. If you want to make a complaint, you have to download a form, fill it in and fax it back to them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, or post it to them. That's the only way to do Formal it. Formal complaints right. must be in writing. Must be in writing. And the station has the opportunity to uh, redress that. Yeah, and so... And, and if it's not uh, acceptable, then you get in touch with ACMA. ACMA, Ooh. And, yeah, and so basically I, I do advise that you do like I did and do that. They are claiming that they didn't breach the, uh, the, the code of practice and guidelines. And I'd just like to tell you where they did. The segment they did clearly violate is uh, the guidelines on the portrayal of women on commercial radio, which state ensuring the reporting and on-air discussions respect the dignity of women and are non-exploitive. So if you want to I include that, there I, you go. I think uh, we'll discover in future days that ACMA will find that uh, Today FM were guilty 
of uh, of doing, and and their punishment is to be is going to be please don't rape girls again. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's like what that's what, true. Yeah, that, yeah, that is what I was going to say. I really liked what the uh, seven p.m. Uh, project said. Ch- Charlie Pickering on the seven p.m. project. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this just for you, Brett. So get ready. Uh, said uh, you know at, at what point does a fourteen year old girl uh, lie detector and sexual activity sound like good breakfast radio? Yes. Yeah, yeah. How, how's that not going to get you into into yeah. trouble? Uh, speaking of Charlie Pickering and the Seven PM Project, uh, they may have a bit of trouble. Have you guys caught any of it? I, I they, have. They do sometimes. Uh, I've, uh, do, I've caught a, a few, a few episodes of it. They they do sometimes do uh, ad hoc interviews with uh, people who may be experts in stories that they're talking about, and uh, that's always branded with the Skype brand, and uh, looks like it's on a bit of a web camera. Always, the, the video's all broken up, and and the it's, audio's it's, lucky to make it through. I, I, <laughs> And, and Sausages. It, <laughs> and is this meant to make us like Skype? Are we meant to go out and go, I, I really love that Skyping? One would think that if it works, then yes. I However. Guess, hang on. I can't understand this, though, because I use Skype almost every day. I, I use it for my business. Uh, I'm constantly using it. And, and I'm not just, running it full screen or anything. No, and I've just got a, a general home use internet account, mm-hmm. and it works fine. Yep. So, are they running this off a, a an eight board modem or something? Uh, Ninety six hundred, I think. Okay, yeah, yes. Uh, eBay, who own uh, Skype, the uh, the software, and it's uh, eBay it's owns brand, Skype. Yeah, may have. Isn't, sh- isn't everything owned by one company now? It's, eBay. eBay might be. Uh, selling Skype back to the people who originally created it. But okay. that's, that's for another No, eBay time. may have to shut down Skype uh, due to a licensing dispute between eBay, the owners of Skype, and uh, the founders of uh, the internet telephony service who developed uh, the technology to uh, provide the audio and video across uh, internet connections. So... Ha- how is that going to uh, affect 7pm project? Uh, they won't have Skype and they won't be able to brand their little uh, ad hoc interviews with such. Right. That's No offence, Brett. That's the shittest story. Shall I try and we, do my... We might not have to uh, put up with it for too much longer. No, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll continue with another, another uh, shit story. And then I can do my hard-hitting Adam then, West story. Then you do your hard-hitting Adam West story. Uh, BBC and ITV in the UK... Uh, want to have more acronyms? <laughs> no, they are, they're they're calling uh, for uh, all qualifying matches involving home nations to be reserved for live broadcast on free-to-air television uh, in the uh, World Cup and European Championships. Uh, they feel that this strikes a balance between public sentiment and market impact. Basically, what they're saying is is no now an ASL for HGs in the uh, ED of the WPC. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're also yeah they're also just yeah anti it was ASL anti siphoning yep. law yep. yeah so that's that's what they're looking for. Uh, obviously, Sky, ESPN, and other pay TV broadcasters are going to oppose the move. Uh, the uh, FA Football Association who, who do the FA Cup. Uh, and y- association football. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
had, uh, I don't know, there's something about £425 million from ITV and Satanta. Uh, but now, uh, I think Satanta has uh, Even has you're not interested in this yeah. story. <laughs> you're I heard Satanta were uh, in economic or oh, financial strife. Well, yeah, they've collapsed uh, in just in a heap. Uh, and as Weeping. such, make, makes it very hard to, for them to show football on television. Uh, and then they've also just all turned around and realised that it was soccer. Oh. <laughs> and not football at all. <laughs> Embarrassing. I know. They should release an EPK about that. Now, this is, I think this is probably the final story. Is this the last one? Uh, there's a couple more. Uh, is there? Okay. Uh, well, yeah, we'll see. Um, I might actually just read this directly from, from the, the material I have from the AV Club report of this. Uh, the campy 60s Batman TV series remains trapped in home video limbo because while Fox owns the series, Warner Brothers own the character and reportedly neither of them owns the rights to all the uncredited, ca- uncredited cameos on the show. But that hasn't stopped star Adam West from making and marketing his own set of featurettes for a DVD set that doesn't yet exist. For 30 bucks at the online Adam West store, fans can buy Adam West Naked, a two-DVD set in which West reminiscence about the series episode by episode. Even better, he does so, quote, in a variety of amusing settings, whispering in the attic, or a stride an imaginary horse at his home. <laughs> though, though, to be fair, this is how West conducts most of his day-to-day conversations. I'm, I'm quite happy to say, and that... <laughs> What? Is the box cutters news? Hey, what's happening, man? This is Bart Simpson. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't hang up. I'm now auditing on new OT7. Box cutters. See you there, man. <laughs> Joining us now on the box cutters telephone, all the way from Holiday Land, Australia, James Talia. Thanks so much for joining us on your holiday. My pleasure. What the hell was that ID? That's that's what I always say. <laughs> Every I've week. Heard what that, that one before? That was special. Some of your finest work, Brett. Uh, actually, that was jo- Josh that- spent some of his holiday just making freaky promos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that explains it then. And that's Very that's good. one of them. Bart, Bart Simpson, the Scientologist. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, Bart Simpson now operating on uh, OT seven. Okay. If you have to okay. explain the joke, I'm having trouble hearing it down the phone line. That explains it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's hard. How you're going? Long time no speak. I know. Well, you've been you've been busy, so you know we haven't wanted to disturb you. Thanks very much. <laughs> I have been a little bit busy. Yeah, you, you have in, a, in good ways. A, amongst other things, you uh, for for a week, for a week, two weeks, you were you you were anchoring the 4:30 p.m. bulletin on. Nine. This is, and this is not long after we asked you how much extra work it would be to have nine different bulletins on the network in one day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was actually for three weeks, so it was, it was a, a handy run to get. And uh, yeah, it's no extra work at all unless they uh, ask you to read it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got all that reading to do. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, right, exactly. So go- going from a, a reporting situation to then going sitting in the studio anchoring and and the first thing that i think of is that excellent scene in uh in in uh, broadcast news, news. you're going to say yep with uh, albert brooks and uh, and sweating through the suit absolutely and the first time a case of swap of of flop sweat yes is how he describes it. I lost one of your shoulder pads. I think it drowned. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and so when I first saw you on the uh, four thirty pm bulletin, I was looking for the flop sweat. Didn't didn't and see it. There was none to be seen. None to be seen. 
how how different is it uh, presenting the news rather than just reporting the news? Well, it's different. In, it's it's different in good and bad ways, I guess. Um, most reporters now are fairly competent at going live in the field, and of course, you do that without an auto cue, but. Uh, which is the advantage of being in studio. Obviously, it's all written there in front of you. Um, but it is a very different environment, and uh, the way you have to work the camera, if you like, for want of a better term, is very different to what it is outside of the studio. And that's the, really the main thing to come to grips with in terms of the, the technical TV stuff. Uh, do, do you get uh, pointers on posture in the chair and uh, and and? where to look in the camera and uh, camera changes and uh, the, yeah, the use certainly. of uh, blue screen and things like that? Well, there's a floor manager there to, uh, to, to handle uh, switching cameras and, and uh, that sort of thing, and you really rely on them very heavily. That would um, be uh, Lucky Phil, wouldn't it? <laughs> it actually wasn't Lucky Phil when I was doing it. If only it had have been. That, that might have made my year. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, there was, there's, there's always a floor manager to guide you to the camera where you need to be next, which is which is good. Um, and uh, but but having said that, it's it's, it's sort of a, an environment where anything can happen, could happen, and obviously you're going live. When things go wrong, it could be for any number of reasons. But generally, as far as the viewers are concerned, they tend to think that it's the uh, the reader's fault if something goes wrong. It's the reader that that ends up looking foolish, and you kind of always have that in the back of your mind. Right. So so it's not Carrie Bickmore's fault that she's always looking in the wrong camera on the seven pm project. You know, I noticed that. I was having a look at 7pm Project last week, and no, I don't think it's her fault. Because she's always looking in the wrong camera. Well, because she's, she's set up on one camera with that, is it a graphic or a plasma behind her to sort of replicate a, a news-type set, and then they cut to a wide shot, and they all chat amongst themselves about that news story, and then there seems to be a gap where the director has to figure out, yep, they've stopped all talking amongst themselves, and Carrie's going on to her next script, and I have to switch back to that newsy-looking shot. But she's already looking at that camera. So, um, I, no, I don't think that's entirely her fault. I think it's Probably a stylistic not, not the choice. Fault either. It's got a lot to do with the format of the show. Yeah, I think it's deliberate to yeah, give it its own edge. Can, can, <laughs> can I ask you, James? Um, it must be weird that when you're a reporter, you are, are surely um, able to shape the news in some ways. You're, you're following the, the part of the story perhaps that you think is most interesting or, or the bit that appeals to you or, or you think is the, you know, the juiciest. Yeah. When you're the presenter... Um, that's presumably a you know, more passive experience that that you can't you can't really comment, can you, on the news or, or try and direct the story at that point? No, you can't. You can comment. You risk looking like Mike Moore, um, but uh, hmm. you, you certainly don't. Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. Um, but you, you're certainly not involved in in the, the direction of each individual story. So that is a really different experience. Um, there's there's no doubt about that. But then I guess you you have to view it as it's a different part of the operation. Reading, you, mm-hmm. you're the one that is. Uh, taking the more macro approach, I guess you could put it that way, that you have to rely on others to be uh, taking care of their own story. And then um, conversely, they're relying on you to make sure that it's presented properly because uh, I, I guess whoever's reading each individual bulletin is the face of that bulletin and therefore the face of each individual story as well. And no reporter wants to see the intro to their story being stuffed up or a 
uh, reader getting tongue-tied. So you have that responsibility as well, even uh, instead of having the responsibility of guiding the story. That that bulletin is uh, is quite different in that uh, it relies very heavily on anchor reporter interviews, which is something that it does. Uh, something that the six pm bulletin does a little bit of, but uh, but the four thirty bulletin was almost entirely that. Uh, so in in that situation, how many of the questions are worked out beforehand with the reporter, and how much are you just expecting the reporter to know? No, the questions are all worked out beforehand, and that's always been the case, and I think that's probably the case at all networks. Um, the uh, the reporter will discuss with a producer uh, before the cross happens just what is going on in the story and therefore what should or could be asked. If the producer wants to throw up another question or two or make suggestions, then the reporter might say, yep, I do know about that, or no, that's not correct, that's not what's happening in the story. Um, so that's that's very collaborative. Um, it's, it's something that is loathed by TV reporters everywhere when ill-informed readers... Um, <laughs> try to uh, try to make themselves look good by throwing in the odd ad lib question, which might be based on a on an incorrect premise, mm-hmm. and you're left standing there with nowhere to go because what the anchor has said might be wrong or incorrectly skewed for what's happening in any given story on the day, and uh, and then you're left there trying to cover for the anchor's lack of knowledge. Um, so. If you've uh, done a lot of time as a reporter in the field and you then start reading, you're probably going to be very cautious about not putting reporters in that position because we've all been there with the shoe on the other foot. So that, I mean, that, that takes a lot of the mystery of, uh, of, <laughs> of news, uh, news anchoring and, and reporting away from it. Uh, when, uh, when people get criticised for what happens on air, uh, that then means that who is responsible? Because it's it's largely a, a team effort, but somebody uh, somebody is going to get the blame. Uh, is there is there going to be an investigation on where something fell down? Is it the the person in charge of the teleprompter who uh, who just didn't move it forward enough, or is it the you know is is it the floor manager? Is it the producer? Is it the reader? Is it the uh, the the reporter? Does does somebody look into that and go? Well, it, okay, it, can, stuff be, up it can be any one of those people. Um, depending on what the error is. And uh, there generally doesn't need to be much of an investigation. When something goes wrong, it's usually patently obvious to all involved whose error it is as soon as it happens. Um, and, you know, sometimes things go wrong. That's that's just the way it goes, especially with news, because occasionally you get breaking news and it, it, it shakes up the rundown and um, all of those decisions have to be made in the control room by, by the producers. Um, and really, uh, there are efforts made to shield the reader from all of that. So the, the, the goal is to have, um, even if you have absolute panic going on in the control room, that the reader shouldn't be able to hear that because the reader still has to be sitting there reading a bulletin. You just have to rely on producers making decisions, sorting out what's going to happen next, and then telling you, hopefully, so that, you, uh, it, so that it looks seamless on air, even if all else is chaos. Can I ask you, James, then, just on that, that idea of responsibility and, and choices, 
Um, going back a few weeks to you know, the day Michael Jackson died, and we had, what? Had, oh, did I not? Oh, sorry, I meant to tell Michael you. Michael who? My, yeah, sorry, Michael Jackson. About it. Yeah, yeah. He's the star of Moonwalker. You know that movie? You oh, love? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I love that oh, film. Yeah, that was that James Bond movie, right? That's the one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the same day he died, um, we had we we had the report coming out on uh, I think it was today that Jeff Goldblum had died, yeah. which, which he hadn't. Who? Where would that have come from? I'm curious to know. You know, when when the Jeff Goldblum piece went to air, there was footage with it as well. They had a they had a little compilation of of clips of Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. So who would have made that decision to put that story to air? Was, Be- is that a producer or because is that a- I, I like to think that Richard Wilkins was just checking his own Twitter feed well, during that, the air because uh, well because that's how it came came across. We're all kind of treating it as if uh, Richard Wilkins just threw it in there, but there being footage behind it seems to indicate that that a decision was made somewhere. How would that happen? Yeah, in that instance, I, I don't know. I can't be 100% sure because I wasn't watching it at the time. But, but just generally, um, I'm just curious, you know, how, how does that happen on a, on a sort of new show? Who, who usually comes up with the idea of, of going, oh, we're throwing that in now? Well, on a, on a new show, mm-hmm. it would be the producer. And, and the person who, who we call the lineup producer, that is the, the, the producer who on that day is responsible for um, putting the rundown in, in the order that everybody sees fit and being in the control room to put the show to air and make sure all the times are right and do all that sort of technical stuff. The lineup producer would, would make that call on a news show that, yes, we're going with this, throw it in. Mm-hmm. Um, on a show like today, which is where the format is obviously a lot more flexible than a news show, um, it's hard to tell. It's hard for me to tell, having having not worked on that show. Um, I don't know if Richard was on air the whole time because of what was going on with Michael Jackson. If he was, then unless he had a laptop in front of him, I suggest it probably would have been pretty difficult for him to have gleaned that, checked it on his own, confirmed it, and told a producer, yes, we're going with that. I, I suspect that probably didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I, I like it better my way. The, yeah, uh, everyone likes it better your way, Josh. <laughs> but the bar everyone also, loves beating up on him, don't they? But I'm also just curious then, I mean, how much, how much checking gets done on these sort of stories? Because, uh, you know, if, if, if that comes to air and, and how much do you have to check a story to know that it's true before you say someone's dead, effectively? How much proof do you need? Well, I, I think <laughs> I, I, I don't know that I, I, I could lay out, you know, a standard of proof. Um, Certainly, you would want more than one source, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, I think you would just you would come to a point where you'd know, yes, this is a goer. If you know, if you see it in in two or three different places that are um, that are reputable outlets, if you like. Um, but certainly, you know, whatever the standard of proof is, obviously, it wasn't sufficient that day. And it's beyond time that uh, Richard Wilkins has had the opportunity to embarrass us as a nation with his uh, uh, outbursts. I mean, the guy's a Kiwi anyway. We, we shouldn't really be talking to him at all. Uh, well, I think that's, that's pretty harsh. Hello to our New Zealand listeners. Harsh but fair. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Well, well, he's been embarrassing since he was on the couch at MTV. entirely his fault. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think it's in, entirely his fault, Uh but, uh, but you know, that's, that's the mean, way look, that... For it... example, if there was vision of Jeff Goldblum that went to air to, to, to sort of... There was, to, there was a little montage. That's why I'm curious to know where the hell that came from. Right. Well, clearly, Dickie haven't manufactured that sitting in his seat in the studio, yeah. has he? Someone's had, to, someone's had to go to the library and 
ask for shots of Jeff Goldblum and then someone's had to take those tapes to an editor who's then had to cut together that montage and all of that has to be done by producers and librarians and editors and, and put to air via the control room. That's, that's not Dickie's work, is it? But as you know, the, having, having worked with other people dying, uh, there are certain celebrities that they already have the real ready to go Do you for. think Jeff Goldblum would be <laughs> yeah, considered? I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they would have had uh, an obit on the shelf ready to go for and, Jeff Goldblum. And if they had, it would have been uh, a lot better produced than the clip that they did have, which I think only had uh, shots from two different Jeff Goldblum the new films. The procedural that is in. No, 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 they right. didn't. They didn't have, no, they didn't have footage from that. Yeah, it's with grey hair. No, it, was a, it was Earth Girls Are Easy and uh, The Tall <laughs> and Guy. And The Tall Guy. Yeah, I think those were the two films I was yeah. showing. Was it, was it really the tall guy? It was really the tall oh, okay. guy and uh, and something else. I don't, I don't think it was Earth Girls Are Easy, but it was the tall That's guy and something else. entertainment right there. Okay, oh, yeah. fair point. Uh, the tall guy, I have to say, does have one of the best uh, sex scenes I've ever seen in a film. It, it really does. Yeah. It's a great film. It's, it's very impressive. Uh, James, do you always have, when you're anchoring, is there someone in your ear talking all the time? Um, not all the time, but yes, anchors wear earpieces so that the producer... And director can talk to you while you're on air. So, so there's a, a situation where you'll be talking and they're talking in your ear. Um, rarely, no. They they very much try to avoid doing that, and there really aren't very many situations where that would be necessary. I think things would need to be really changing very, very rapidly for that to be necessary. Like, like in the Big Brother house. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. And I like to think that uh, our new studios are nothing like the Big Brother house. <laughs> And how much uh, how much pre training did you have to do before being allowed to to sit in the chair like live on television, or did they just go, "We trust you, James. Here you go. It's your turn." No, they didn't. But there was also a, a significant element of that was me saying, "Hey, I need to have a can I have a run at this? You know, <laughs> a bit of a practice first because I don't want to be going doing it for the first time live on air and you know looking like an idiot." So I did. I think. Um, Three practice runs. And is that like the, a whole... In the, couple of, in the couple of weeks beforehand. I mean, I, I had read before, but not for a long time. And that was uh, back when I was working at Wind TV in Ballarat, sort of 11, 12 years ago. And uh, I would occasionally read sport in, in that bulletin. So that's a, and that's a different ball game because when you're reading sport, it's only to the one camera. You're not switching cameras the yep. same as a news anchor does. Um, so yeah, I, I, whether or not whether or not they thought I should ha- rehearse, I certainly thought I should. But I'm I'm glad I did because the first time round was absolutely terrible. And do you do a whole bulletin when you do the, the practice run, like from start to finish, kind of thing with fake news? Uh, no, we were we were doing practice runs of of whatever that day's four thirty bulletin had been, um, and generally just the first break. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and so what was the difference between your first day and the end of the three weeks? Sorry, say that again, Josh. The, the difference, uh, you said your first day was really nervous. How how much easier did it get uh, when you got to the end of the, the three weeks? No, well, I think this, the first rehearsal was terrible. The first day I was I was actually reading was was pretty nerve-wracking, but that, that sort of falls away quickly. In the end, you just keep reminding yourself that... Uh, uh, you know, you're just uh, doing the same thing as you've always done, just in a different environment and in a slightly different way. And um, and uh, you start to feel more comfortable pretty quickly. Excellent. Well, James, we'll, uh, we'll let you get back to your holiday. <laughs> um, Thank you. But th- thanks so much for, for joining us. I, f- I find the whole 
the whole way and the, the way that a, a team gets a, a whole news bulletin together, fascinating. And, and maybe, uh, maybe one day we can get a producer in to talk about how it's always somebody else's fault. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot more that goes on behind the scenes that, than, uh, than people realise. And really, that's the way it should be. It should be just the viewer watching a reader deliver the news to them in the best and most professional manner possible. But there's certainly a hell of a lot that goes into it. So it's uh, interesting to talk about that sometimes. Oh, sorry, just, just, just lastly, um, the death of Walter Cronkite, was that felt at all in uh, Australian newsrooms? Um, not particularly. I think um, there'd be a lot of people around in Australian newsrooms who probably wouldn't have heard of Walter Cronkite, wouldn't know who he is. There are those of us who uh, um, perhaps are a touch older and have been kind of students of the game, if you like, fanatical about it for you know a long time, who certainly knew who he was. Um, and while I did know a bit about him, it was interesting to be able to read a couple of obituaries and watch a couple of obituary reports that, that uh, gave a bit more information about some of his high points and low points and just why he was considered to be the most trusted man in America. Oh, we didn't hear that enough. Well, (laughs) well, that's right. But certainly uh, one of those those occasions where it's it's not going over the top to use the cliché describing him as an iconic figure. I mean, he certainly had a lot to do with crafting... Uh, the way news broadcasts first in the states and 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 flowing on from that around the world uh, have have come to be in, in a lot of ways what we still see today. Excellent. Well, James, thanks so much for your time. We we appreciate it. Now uh, back to the surf for you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm quite the surfer, as you know, <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what I'm going to be doing right now. See you later. Bye. Thanks, guys. Uh, hi, this is Scott Brennan. Uh, television, Scott Brennan. If you've got cable, um, not free to air anymore. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really bitter. But um, this is the box cutters, and this is pretty much what I've been reduced to. I, I like to think elevated towards. Speaking of elevated, oh. uh, sometimes when you exit the Torchwood Underground Cavern, you stand on an elevator and end up on a street in Cardiff, in Wales. Mm. That brings us to Torchwood. God, you suck at segues. You're terrible. Hey, it's, uh, it, was, it was better than Brett's uh, speaking of Japan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Torchwood. Torchwood. Torchwood Children of Earth is a five-part series from BBC Wales uh, that uh, follows the Torchwood scenario. It's, it is technically the third season, but it is all one story and it is only five episodes. Shown over five evenings. Oh, was it five was, consecutive yeah, evenings? It was epic television, and each each episode is called day one, day two, day three, and it, it goes through through the course of a day. All Curiously, the way to five. Uh, according to Wikipedia, it's already been played in Australia. Uh, it was played here from UK the seventh of July in UK TV, but uh, presumably that's that's yeah, yes, it it, it, no it was seen it. it was, and it is already available on, on DVD, DVD. Uh, in the UK, probably here as well. Who knows? Uh, I, I did discover that. Uh, one of Brett's one of Brett's one things from last week, Liberal Rule, is also already available on DVD. Oh, from SBS. Thank you very much. The uh, Errol Morris thing. No, Liberal Rule, ah, the local one. Yes. Uh, the uh, uh, so Torchwood it, it follows Captain Jack Harkness. Harkness. I want to say Sparrow. Don't know why. Oh, because uh, that's the character from Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, of the Caribbean. Caribbean. That'd yeah. be a much more entertaining show. Uh, C- Captain Jack Harkness, uh, who was a character in the first series of this new version of Doctor Who, 
and uh, had a, a spin-off series also created by Russell T. Davies uh, called Torchwood. He's in charge of the uh, Torchwood facility that investigates alien life on Earth. He is quite unique in that he is a constant point in time and space. Yes, he cannot die, much in the same way that Captain Scarlet could also uh, not die. N- not die. Yeah. Uh, and he said, I'm taking over because you seem confused. I'm uh, c- completely confused because okay. I, don't, I don't understand where this where this series fits in. Okay, now series, look, series one, yeah, I mean, basically, let's move on. There was Jack, there was there was Gwen, who was a, a local cop who basically got involved with the Torchwood Institute. There's Ianto who spent the whole season making tea. There was also, sorry, sorry I apologize, coffee, don't write in. Um, there were also two other characters. Now, let's skip forward. We're watching season three. Most people agreed season one was a great big pile of poo. Well, that's why I don't know very much about it. Did you watch season one at all? I, you... I watched maybe an episode and a half. Yeah. Did you watch any of season one, Brett? Uh, odd episodes that they were showing on Channel 10. Yeah. It, look, it wasn't great. And there are, I mean, Nirel Harris, who, you know, um, has been a guest on the show, does the book thing. She says uh, she actually enjoys Torchwood just to watch the rabid fans because they, they do love it. And, and they, you know. They loved season one. Most of us think, mm. season three takes up, we've lost some of the extraneous characters. We're now back down to just Gwen, Jack, Nianto running the, uh, running the Torchwood Institute. And the plot of this basically involves a massive cover-up starting from 1965 involving an alien life form who it turns out uh, took 12 children away back in 1965. They've returned in the current day. And uh, and they're, oh, they, they're speaking through our children. They, we, yeah, they're speaking through the children. And we don't know. We don't know why. A lot of it's the mystery unfolding, so we want to try and avoid uh, any major spoilers. But I, I think if you've if you've never watched Torchwood, this is a, a good introduction, or even if not a good introduction, it's a good mini series. I actually think this is better if you've never watched Torchwood. That's the, that's the weird thing about this. I actually think this is better if you have no knowledge of the backstory to the series because you'll be able to watch it much clearer and not yeah be bogged down with the the badness that came before. Yeah, and that's, uh, you, you know, I got over that very quickly. The, oh, my, it's, it's the horrible fake American accents and it's the, uh, it's, it's all that sort of stuff. And then just kind of went, oh, no, I'll just enjoy this for, for what it is. And, and what it is, essentially, is a John Wyndham story. Uh, jo- John Wyndham, who wrote uh, Midwich Cookies, well, which was turned yeah. into... Uh, it's, a, it's a bit more... I, look, I had a really weird thing with this. The, the, the first three episodes, um, uh, yes... Uh, Children of the Damned, Village of the Damned, Village and then Damned. Children of the Damned, the second one. Um, I actually really enjoyed the first three episodes as a kind of, you know, as a, as a thriller, except that the, the, the complete lack of any originality kept annoying me because I'd go, oh, that's Captain Scar, that's Quatermass 4, that's A for Andromeda, that's, yeah, and I could, you could basically tick off. It's a history of, of British science fiction. Mm. In, in um, Then episode four, I thought was astonishing. I thought episode four was really amazing and did stuff I wasn't expecting, including a. Played by Peter Capaldi. Um, he doesn't swear. Anything involving him on screen, I was really riveted. I, I, I loved all the scenes in which he's basically being manipulated by the government to try and cover their asses, and then also scenes where he has to, to kind of negotiate with the aliens. And I found because those scenes in particular astonishing. It's, it's one of the few times we've seen in a, a Torchwood or Doctor Who a really good actor mm. with really emotional with a really great stuff. Role. Yeah, a, a, and a, a genuinely good role, and not the. 
Um, it's been mentioned before, I think, on the Outland Institute blog that um, uh, Russell T. Davies seems to write with this formula that in around 23 minutes in, you have to cry. And he writes a scene where, where something happens to make you cry. And I think because this was five episodes, he didn't feel the need to do that in each episode. And and the only bits that turned up, like there's a, there's a scene involving Capaldi and his family, which I thought was really, really moving. Yeah, that was great. Um, it, it did, I think this also shows up by like Capaldi, the woman who played Capaldi's secretary, um, I think even the guy playing the Prime Minister, and there's a character called Lois Habiba, who is, uh, again, someone working in the government who the Torchwood are, are working with. She, it turns out, replaces, originally was going to be... Um, Freema Egemen, Freema, whose surname I can't pronounce, who played Martha in Doctor Who, who wasn't available. Um, the thing I noticed about all those characters, Kush Jumbo was, was the actress's name, they were all so much better than Jack and Gwen yes. and everyone else that I kind of felt every time Torchwood turned up, the thing dipped a bit. And I thought, if you took all the Torchwood people out, this would probably be remembered as a kind of edge of darkness, you know, brilliant thriller. Every time Torchwood turned up, also Torchwood were kind of irrelevant. I don't know if you noticed, they spent all of episode three watching everything on telly. Yeah, yeah, they they, they were. It, it really felt like this was an episode of uh, Yes Minister in the Twilight Zone. And that stuff I thought was brilliant. Which was, which was excellent. The what if scenario. Uh, and, uh, and I loved all of that. I thought everything that happened in London... In, uh, in in at, in at Tim's, Tim's house, house and uh, and at uh, Westminster was just superb mm. uh, and, and built tension really well, uh, but the the Torchwood stuff was kind of like well, it's it's more like comic relief. There, I mean, there, is, there is that problem that I mean I don't think John Barrowman or Eve Miles are really up to the acting challenge in this one. Um, I think she's probably a bit better than he is, but it's just that thing of. John Barrowman as the Doctor Who perceived Jack Harkness, where he was meant to be the the the, the swingy, omnisexual space adventurer, was brilliant. the The copy of Angel that they tend to turn, try and turn him into in in Torchwood, I don't think, is terribly interesting. I don't think he's got the gravitas to pull it off. Eve Miles as Gwen, this could have been a choice she made. About halfway through, she kind of seems to go into shock, and she plays the whole thing, you know in stunned horror. Mm. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, that may have been a deliberate acting choice, but for me it wasn't really working. There is a great bit at the beginning of episode five, which was very familiar and I think may have turned up in one of the Doctor Who novels, where she basically does this piece to camera about how she always wondered why the Doctor would turn up to save us except the times that he didn't. And, and I thought that was actually just a really nice standalone yeah, piece. Th- that's an interesting little bit. But, yeah, but, but as, as a whole, again didn't add anything didn't make any difference to the telling of the story uh whereas everything that happened in i, I found all that really fascinating the, the and the idea that aliens uh, aliens are coming but in order to tell us that they're coming they possess every single child in the world to speak in unison there was also nice thing the aliens are quite genuinely alien like they they've, they've gone out of their way to to not, yeah, they're not just a kind of like sea monsters. Well, they're, yeah. but also they're not just moustache twirling kind of bad guys. They're actually they are so alien that at one point they don't even get a name. Which I, I actually think that was actually one of the things I thought was most interesting about this. The aliens don't have a name. They're going, well, what do you call us? Well, we call you four, five, six. That's uh, fine. So the whole thing, like they don't even, they're kind of above or beyond a lot of the stuff that we would kind of consider important. Mm-hmm. Well, what did you think, Brett? Because you're being very quiet. I thought it was way too long and flabby and just. Killing time for a lot oh, so of so that's it. funny because I actually really liked I liked the pacing in that I thought the five episodes worked really well 
with the main story. But again, with the Torchwood story, that's where I kind of felt that, yeah, there's one episode where I think they escape and get recaptured and escape again. And it reminded me of those John Pertwee seven-parters from the 70s. But, um, yeah, but it's funny. I actually really like the pacing generally. I, I thought the five episodes to me worked really well for the the story of, yeah, because we have the build-up, the aliens are coming and then they're here. And, and yeah, but I, I did think the Everybody Torchwood... involved in it has to be wiped out because uh, there can't be any danger that anybody's going to tell what actually happened back in 1965. I I thought that the uh, I thought that the last episode was kind of unnecessary action filler, uh, and most of that surrounded you know Torchwood and Torchwood related characters, whereas the first three episodes uh, were uh, were focusing on the intrigue and and once the once the mystery of what happened and uh, and what were we following was was solved. I kind of went. Well, how are they going to wrap this up? I, I felt, how, how are they get because yeah. it, it kind of wraps up at yeah. episode three and a half. Oh, see, so for me, I mean, episode four was where the information came out that I found most interesting. But I do think it gets to a point in which episode five seems a bit of a cop out to kind of go. Oh, and and now we need to put everything away again. Like it did feel like it had gone too far to come back for that for that last. And there's the, there is a chase scene in the in, in the last episode where uh, you know the, one of the things about about Torchwood and one of the things about BBC productions now in general is that they have this very, very melodramatic music that goes over mm-hmm. the top of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but if you, uh, if you replace that music in this chase scene with the Benny Hill music, it's hilarious. <laughs> I, I actually didn't hate the music in this, and that's quite rare for me with recent BBC productions. I actually thought this was, was, was okay because it was done in an orchestral style. It wasn't, I, I found it wasn't too histrionic. I thought they, they'd calmed it down a little bit. You know but, when it's really jarring? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a scene when one of the characters is uh, momentarily deafened and we see oh, her yeah. and then we see things from her perspective. Yeah. When we see things from her perspective, there is no giant orchestral music. Yeah. And, then, and then there is. And it makes it seem like somewhere just around the corner there is an orchestra and she, and she can't, can't hear, hear it. Yeah. I must say, I did get annoyed with, one of the things about Torchwood famously is that they are the most useless organisation in the world. One of the, one of the very first episodes, they managed to lock themselves out of their own installation but a pizza delivery woman gets in which is just, yeah, and, they, and their car gets nicked. In this, their car gets nicked again. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was one of those things where the, yeah, the uselessness of Torchwood just seemed to be even more to the fore and then against that, I was getting very annoyed that any time anyone chased them with a gun, like you'd have actual military firing repeatedly at them at very close range and missing. I don't mind that happening once or twice in a chase scene. I think that's acceptable. But when it's happened like six or seven times in a row or someone's got a bead on, on, on you with a, a laser sight and they mm-hmm. wait like half a minute before trying to shoot you, it just, just the timing did seem to be... I think that's that's more a, a criticism that the tortured creators have of the British military. Well, it could be. It could well be that maybe everyone's a bit used. But did you did you enjoy it though at all, Brett? Because I'm, I'm, we didn't get to. No, you're not. Not. Yeah, it slaughtered five hours for me. Because I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed it, which I yeah, I was surprised by because I'd not been a fan of Torchwood at all, and I'm not a fan of Russell T Davies' writing. Um, I did notice on here that the episode I thought was great was not written by Russell T Davies. Yeah, it's, and uh, episode two and three, episode two was not written by Russell Davies. Episode three was only co-written by Russell T Davies. But presumably he did plot the whole thing out, I imagine. But um, yeah, it, well, yeah, because it had all of that horrible sentimental. The episode, crap, yeah, know? episode five did go the, the mushy kind of Russell that we we kind of love. I did also like the fact that Torchwood was always meant to be the adult 
science fiction series, which in the first series just seemed to mean boobies. It was like a 14-year-old. I'm talking about boobies again. It, it was like a 14-year-old idea of and what And you've got my attention. I know. But it was like, it was Captain like, Jack, he'll have every, anybody. <laughs> it was everybody. Like, but it was like yeah, a 14-year-old idea of what an adult series would be. Oh, it's drugs, it's swearing, it's boobs. Whereas this one was genuinely an adult concept. I thought it was actually you know using some adult ideas. And I really liked seeing this. this uh, it was almost like a return to what the British used to do in science fiction, especially since we, we did see most of what the British used to do in the story. And by the <laughs> end of it, uh, a little bit over uh, any time Gwen shot a uh, special for the video podcast, it'd be like that, bang, 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 with the, the hand uh, going up in the air. Oh, speaking of the video podcast, we mentioned yes. the anagram before, actually, and um, you, know, you didn't know that Torchwood was, was an anagram. And, uh, I, I, a- anagram or acronym? No, an, an-, an anagram. The oh, it's, an, an, anagram. Oh, it's an anagram of Doctor Who? No, no it's an anagram of Hot Rod Cow. There we go. I, oh. I was working it out earlier. There's, there's, oh. my, there's my workings for the uh, hot, I thought, rod, hot Rod Cow. Or O2 Cord, but I decided that uh, Hot Rod Cow was, was, was better. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry, I thought, I thought you said acronym. Anyway, that's, uh, that's Torchwood Children of Earth. You can uh, find it at a DVD store or. You can purchase it through the link on through, the. Through uh, the link on the, on the blog. Which will help us. I think it's definitely worthwhile. Definitely. I, look, I'm, I'm glad I watched it. So, so am I. So am I because I was struggling for a John Wyndham story. Haven't had one since twenty eight days later. I know, and uh, yeah. and, uh, and this is this is yeah the chrysalids. Yeah, it? this is yeah yeah really enjoyed it. Good evening, viewers. This is Sandra Sultry. I've been playing with my box on the box cutters. Just quickly, uh, last week. Oh, because you think it's her vagina. We uh, last week we were going to talk about uh, reality television hosts. <laughs> yes. And uh, what a presence they they make! What impacts on our screens they have, especially uh, given Master Chef had just finished up. Well, yeah, Master Chef had finished up, finished up, and uh, I don't know if anyone's aware of this, but Master Chef had a host, Sarah Wilkinson. No, sorry, Sarah Wilson. Uh, she's not been signed and for she the second off season. With that, that guy with the book and the what? The, <laughs> the special chef dude that came in. What's his name? That's special chef dude. That was his name. Yeah. See what what you're saying. It's got a recipe book coming up at Christmas. What you're saying at the moment to serve man. <laughs> oh no, no, to serve man's a cookbook. Oh, that's what you're oh, saying. Hang on, is it? yeah. Hang on, what? Uh, the uh, uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Brad. Sure, maybe I don't know. My point is, I barely like every time she came on screen, I, I would go, "Oh, that's right. This show's got a host. What? <laughs> Who's that now? Why is she talking?" Get it back next to the contestants where she belongs. I had no idea what she was doing there, why she was there, or uh, or why anybody actually thought that she was needed because uh, she added nothing. She added absolutely nothing. Everything that she said was then repeated by the judges, and then she would go off, I don't know, do some shopping, maybe, uh, maybe read some Kafka. I have no idea. But are you suggesting that they just should not have been a host? Should not have been a host because the judges hosted it anyway. And these things are so massively edited, aren't they, that, that I imagine, you know... Yeah, it's just, it, it really just seemed like money they didn't need to spend. And this is something that the uh, US show, The Contender, uh, realised after the uh, I don't know, f- first season. Uh, also, they didn't have enough money. Sylvester Stallone was still producing it, but uh, they didn't have enough money to have Sylvester Stallone as host. So they just had, uh, they, they just had uh, the, the boxer whose name I have just forgotten. Uh, 
it's it's been that kind of Sunday. Frank uh, Bruno. No, not Frank Bruno. I'm surprised that you have a producer, but you can't afford the producer to also be the presenter, even though he's the producer. Well, he's, he's not going to. It's not going to work for free, and he's really just executive producer. He's oh, not, okay. Yep. He's not like a line producer. This is a state and main kind of thing. Mike Tyson. Not not Mike Lester Ellis. No. No, stop, stop it! Because now I just will never get it. Jeff and Nick. No, it's not. Just stop. George Foreman. No. George Foreman Grill. Yes. <laughs> ding ding ding. That's when he married Mrs. Grill and they took on that hyphenated surname. <laughs> where are you going with this? I'm saying they just had him as as a single host. Uh, obviously, no judges in the contender because uh, people box and whoever wins the boxing match goes on. Uh, so they just need one host, someone to tie it all together. And, uh, and also last week it was announced that uh, Charlotte Dawson from Australia's Next Top Model is going to be a co-host on the Australian version of The Contender. So there'll be two hosts? Yes. I'm guessing one of them will know a little bit about boxing. One of them will not know anything about boxing. Or maybe Charlotte Dawson does know a lot about boxing. Either way, two hosts this show does not need. Do you think maybe... I mean, is this just a... a I was going to say, is it just an Australian thing? I mean, is it... Are the hosts in international... I, I've noticed watching things like... Um, Reality TV, especially UK reality TV, the, the hosts tend to be a lot more acerbic and, and bitey. And Sugar Ray Leonard. And more interesting. Curtis Stone. <laughs> um, whereas the Australian ones tend to be very bland. And I'm also thinking about the fact that I, I knew someone who had a documentary that um, was going to go on the ABC and they were told it had to have a voiceover. So even though it was made in the more modern style of just you know, following, they got told, no, no, you have to have a voiceover. So it ended up with this kind of like, um, Julie's been practicing for over 12 hours. Uh, all the stuff that you didn't really need to know. It wasn't, it wasn't useful information. It didn't add anything, but you have to have a voiceover. And really? so do you think it's the same way we have to have hosts? Is that just the, the rule? I, I, think, I think that's the way it, it, it seems. I mean, uh, I don't understand why Idol has hosts and judges, but the judges aren't actually judging anything. They're just commenting. So you've got a host and then you've got commentators. On, on Idol, but that's an international thing. That is just the format of the show. Uh, the Contender, the, this last season of The Contender, uh, obviously they didn't even have enough budget for Sugar Ray Leonard anymore. So they just had Tony Danza, who I did not know was a boxer. Was he? Yeah. Uh, not just an Elton John song, yeah, but that's, also... Yeah, all I could ever think of. <laughs> <laughs> also a, a boxer, and he did, he did a great... Job. I mean, the, the the role of the host in that situation is to uh, interview the contestants as they uh, as they're getting ready and and kind of just rally the troops, get everyone excited. In MasterChef, that is what the judges did. The judges did the interviews with the with the contestants. The the judges oh, said, so "You really don't need a feeling? host. You at really all. don't need a host." She was completely useless. But uh, she says that she's definitely coming back for the second season. They haven't signed her. I would suggest to them, cut some of your budget. You don't need to sign her because it, just a, a complete waste of, of, of space. Does she have fans though? Or is it just you? I mean, do we know, are there people out there who, who go, I can't get enough of, of that Sarah Wilson or Wilkinson or, w- Wilson. or Wilton? Or, it's Wilson. Uh, I mean, I, was, was there any, you know, was there any heat in the, in the vernacular? I, I really, I don't think people realised she was there. I really don't. And it's it's almost like, uh, I mean, on on Top Chef in the US, 
There is uh, Padma Lakshmi, who is the host. Tom Colicchio, who is the co-host. And then uh, they have a, a couple more judges. Uh, and they actually divide the host-co-host role quite nicely. Uh, the uh, Padma is the host. She introduces the show. She gives contestants their challenges. She tells them what the challenges are going to be. And then she goes away until it's time for judging. Once they're cooking, Tom Calico comes in and does all of that. What are you doing? What are you working on? And then bits to camera saying, I think such and such is doing a really great job. I, I think they're going to be the one to look out for. I'm really interested to see what they're doing with their dish. I don't think that dish is going to work. And so they split up the role of, uh, of the two presenters very nicely. But the, uh, in, in MasterChef, it just doesn't work. And I don't think it's going to work in the contender. I think there, uh, I, I think it was a, a bit of tokenism because you've got three male judges and a female host because you need to have a female on there. I think they're thinking the same thing with the contender. You need to have a female on there to give people a, a reason to feel like it's fair. But the, the thing is, it, it should either be the, the best person for the job or if you're really worried about that, Get a female judge, if that's your problem. That that yeah, that would seem a more logical thing to, do, especially on something like MasterChef. Yeah, where the judges can be the hosts, it just makes sense and it works very well. Anyway, that's my little gripe. I just uh, I just don't think it's necessary. Okay, question three. Which can all these going to be about war? No, I got loads of. I got one on tennis. One on the Suez Canal. Loads. Okay, question three. Which canal links the Mediterranean with the Red Sea? Box cutters. Ah, the queers, which isn't the queers. It is the box cutters. Crumbler beanbag giveaway. Not necessarily connected. The beanbag. It's a a pitch competition. Pitch competition. For which the prize is a crumpler beanbag. Yes, there was some confusion about whether you were meant to be pitching a show based on beanbags. No. No, no, no. The crumpler beanbag is the prize. Have you noticed we've spent like three weeks <laughs> just clarifying the actual competition? The, the beanbag is the prize. The pitch is the competition. So we would like you to pitch us your greatest idea for a television series. It can be funny. It can be entertaining. It can be honest. We just want it pitched in a visual and or audio way. So something we can either show on the internet or we can play on the show effectively. Um, and uh, speaking of which, the actual chat postcard... We haven't put up yet. But we will. We will. Yes? Yes. Yes. It yes. will be going up. It will be going up. In its own little post. In its own post. So if you want to send us your pitch, you can, uh, if it's in physical form, send it to Box Cutters Care of 3 Triple R at 221 Nicholson Street, East Brunswick, 3057. That's in Victoria, Australia. Or, or P.O. Box 2145. So you didn't say that, Again, did you? in uh, the capital Brunswick. city of East Brunswick. Yes, you can email it to us. Hooray at boxcutters.net. And, uh, Fax it to us at 9388-9079. There's been some talk about large files, so do email us through the Hooray and we can all sort that out. Yeah, if, if, you, uh, if, if you have questions about how to get us large files or if you are sending something via you send it, uh, 
hooray at boxcutters.net is the best place to send it to. Someone on the blog also said yes. they've sent something through which we haven't received. So if you have sent something, just check that we've received it. Because mm. it's very odd. Um, been filtered on the way out. Yeah, there's been quite a bit of talk going on. People are getting their, their, their pictures ready. It's all very, very exciting. I think people are talk. actually people, people are putting work into it, which is very which is, exciting. I know. It's nice. It's more than I did. It's different. It's unusual. <laughs> if you watch one thing. Oh, it does cut out. We are coming. <laughs> For we your children. <laughs> we, we are coming. coming. We want a pony. We are coming. The, uh, <laughs> if you watch one thing this week, Brett, Brett, if you were yes. going to watch one thing and only one thing Only week, one thing. What would it be? Purely on spec. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I've been told about it. It's, uh, it's something that uh, comes to us from Canada. Where, where our listener Sophie lives. Yes. Hello, Sophie, in Newfoundland. Oh, Newfoundland. Mm. I like your dogs. She's yeah. a Newfie. Yeah. yeah. She's Quebecois. Is she? I'm sure is she is. She? Uh, well, this is... She's uh, always trying to secede. <laughs> this Damn is her. A, a show uh, hosted by Emmanuel Belliveau. Uh, from the Planet's Green Network uh, over there. It's called World's Greenest Homes. It's on at 6pm on Thursday on ABC One. I, I had a mate had a really green home. Yeah? It's just full of colour bond. It's colour bond on the roof, colour bond on the sides, all of it green. I would have gone for a mould joke there. I would have said, yeah, you just never cleaned and... Yeah. Anyway, um, I'd be watching... Ne- neither of those jokes. No, no but, yeah, I'm just thinking, we've got to work them up. You yeah. know, you can't just expect spontaneous humour. I, I, I write... Or, or in, in your case, spontaneous Spontaneous. I, I, I write my jokes five weeks before we do the show, and then I have to find some way of you know, tying them into what we're talking about. Right, I just, I just make them up on the spot. Yeah. Can you tell? I'd be watching Louis Theroux. Louis Theroux is back on Aussie Telly, a Wednesday, 11.30pm on Channel 7. I believe it's a new special. I do not know. It's Louis Theroux, and it's about Christianity. And before that, you could watch American Dad. Hey, hey. Sorry. Hey, one thing. <laughs> I'm just saying, if, oh, you, really? if, if you put the TV on to warm up, you know. I'm, I'm sure that '70s show was listed after American. I don't. Dad. I don't think we should. Uh, American uh, Dad's on twice this week for some reason. I don't think we should encourage anyone to watch American Dad. I like American Dad. I, I think uh, it's underrated. I, I think if you're going to watch one thing this week, it should be at 11:30 p.m. on Channel Seven on Tuesday, mm. and it's called the we- the Real Wedding Crashes. It's a reality series. Uh, I'm guessing. Just trying to catch on to what little uh, excitement out. there was <laughs> yeah. about the film, The Wedding Crashes. That film was huge, wasn't it? I'm, I'm a fisher. I'm just, I'm saying, I think you should watch this because how are they going to make a reality series out of it? Do they find people who crash weddings? And then if they turn up to the weddings with a camera crew, isn't that going to be a little bit obvious? Or is it a, a jackass stunt style thing where they deliberately go and crash weddings? Either way... Worth watching just to find out what the hell it is. <laughs> hey, um, when I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters, pod, cast, done. Pork is on the table. Someone get the owl out of here. <laughs> Brett's been going, woo, all, all night. It's great. It's Will Ferrell as the car trader in Eastbound and Down. 
been all excited and then oh. Kenny Powers would uh, say something else and you go, woo. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, you you had some there, you, like you had some day. pork about Magda. Oh my some Magda God, pork. Did I what? Uh, after the massive uh, MasterChef ratings for Channel Ten, um, they have released the details of their uh, upcoming lineup for the rest of the year. Is everything MasterChef related? Uh, no, not are on Channel sure? Ten, Channel Seven, and Channel Nine. I believe are uh, looking for new projects uh, that are all that MasterChef can related. Do all that, yes. Um, but uh, the seven PM project will be allowed to run through until the end of the year, as long as they cook. Two new Hamish and Andy specials about meat. Celebrity MasterChef Wednesday seven thirty. That and, one's MasterChef uh, related all by itself. I don't have to make the. Shubansky's new vehicle, which seems a bit like Magda's funny bits, The Spearman Experiment, a clip show variation on Bert Newton's 20 to 1. Well, I'm enthused. Is it going to be yes. clips? Is it going to be clips of MasterChef? No. <laughs> no, but apparently Magda is the it girl of the moment. What's the title? What, what do you mean? The Spearman. The it girl. She's, she's 50 years old, so she can't, she can't be the it girl. She, she could be the, uh, the maybe she's not 50. But do you know that is close, so, someone suddenly going, hey, that made us a Mansky. I reckon she could be big on television. It's like, yeah, she's been famous she for decades. It's not, yeah. Yeah, but now now that she's not fat, people are actually seeing her for her talent. Right. Apparently a, a Q rating to rival Andrew Denton's. Um, apparently it's a, it's a bit of a risk for the 10 network uh, and... Uh, I think they're putting it on after talking about your generation. That's the Spearman experiment. Spearman. Do we know the title? Do we know, do we know any explanation for the title? Uh, no. no it's a man, man with a spear? Yes. Okay. A new experiment on him. Okay. It's, it's a very strange premise for a show. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to pitch that to us, remember you can in our Crumpler Beanbag competition. I should mention someone. I don't know. I don't think this is actually an entry, but someone did mention a, 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 a possible pitch for CSI crime-solving investigators about some investigators that solve crime. Nice. I was very keen on that one because I reckon you could probably spin that out to a whole bunch of other stuff. Y- you think? Yeah, give it a go. You think? Yeah. All right. I may have an ear infection. That might be what's going on. Yeah, yeah. That's your, that's your. I feel really system. hot. Really, really. Yeah, you, you, you should see how you're looking from here. <laughs> that brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 191. I want to say thanks very much to James Talia for calling through all the way from Holiday Land, Australia. He was relaxing. Otherwise known as Holland. <laughs> he was not in Holland. He was all relaxing and then, uh, and then we got him all worked up about news and stuff. Uh, I also want to say thanks to everybody who has been donating to Box Cutters. You rock! You do rock. Mm, yeah, you you rock. do rock. And yep. those who requested interpretive dance, you will be getting some interpretive dance. In the mail. In some <laughs> special personal. It's quite, it's quite hard to post <laughs> interpretive dance, but I'm going to make it happen. Really? It's me, yeah. the tiny dancer. Yeah, yeah. That's where the tiny dancer comes in. <laughs> that's Tony Danza. <laughs> Tony. He's very small also. Tony Danza. Uh, uh, until next week. My name is Josh Canal. I'm John Richards. I continue to be Brett Cropley in some form or another. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. 
Podcast covers things 3RRR, whose studios we use to record this podcast pretty much each and every week. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you're in the Melbourne metro area. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go onto the iTunes Music Store or anywhere else you find us and leave a review. It will help other people find box cutters and then they can enjoy it too. Email us at hooray at boxcutters.net or via SMS on 0458-288-837. That's 0458-CUTTER. I'm, I'm very proud of you, Brett, because I think I've got an ear infection is exactly the sort of thing that you're supposed to leave right up until pork. Because <laughs> it's, it's important and it's interesting, but it's not a whole segment. Because <laughs> no, so we learned that the hard way. Yeah. yeah oh, apparently, Yakma are going to uh, block uh, commercial radio from Geelong once everybody's gone digital. That's a bit of pork. They're going to block it? Yes, because uh, Geelong radio stations aren't happy that uh, Melbourne Metro stations are going to be able to broadcast into there. Well, so they're going to block Geelong radio stations, but they're also going to allow Hezbollah right. into Australia. Hell yeah. Geelong's unhappy, though. We've got you know drinking water and streets. And footy teams with uh, solid stripes. Not that. That looked like writing on the Geelong strips this week, didn't it? <laughs> No one knows what you're talking about anymore, <laughs> ear infection boy. Play Pete Smith. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters.